Do you want to be wise? Do you want to become wise? How do you do that? That's what we're going to talk about today. And I'll go ahead and spill the beans up front. We're going to look at three ways um, and then look at scriptures that explain that. The first way is knowing and worshiping God. The Bible says when we do that, we grow in wisdom. Secondly, by learning and obeying the scripture, we become wise, wiser. And then thirdly, by trusting and following Jesus Christ, we become wiser, we grow and mature in wisdom. So we're going to start with that first one, knowing and worshiping God, and looking at the Proverbs that we read at the beginning of the service. Uh, they'll be on the screen, or you can find them in your bulletin. Those are just three example verses from Proverbs, which is a book about wisdom. It's also about foolishness, and it describes the difference between the two, and how to become wise and not be foolish. And these three verses all say something very similar, that the beginning of wisdom, to get us started in that growth in wisdom, is the fear of the Lord. And I wanted to say a word about what that means. Um, it is not what it sounds like. It's not cowering in the corner, scared of God. I mean, there's an aspect of God being so powerful and huge, like a thunderstorm, that we, we can be scared sometimes just because God is so massive, but that's not what's intended here. This is kind of an old-fashioned word. Uh, the fear of the Lord is describing a, a reverence or an awe. Um, you still get that a little bit uh, in the word awful. Um, that really is an, also an old word that means full of awe at something. Uh, but the fear of the Lord is a, is a holy reverence. It is worship of God that is recognizing God for who he is, what he's like, and offering ourselves in response to God, that worship, that is the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs again and again says that's the starting place for wisdom. It's also why we're doing this series that we're going through, What is God Like? It's so that we can grow in knowledge of the Lord, that we'll uh, worship God, we'll get to know God more and more, what God is like, so that we might grow, among other things, grow in wisdom. So if that's Proverbs... Also, at the beginning of the service, we read some verses from Psalm 19. Um, that whole psalm is about the word of the Lord, the written word of the Lord, and its benefits to us, one of which is causing us to grow in wisdom. The particular verses, I mean, the whole psalm is worth looking at, and that would be a great thing to do um, later this week to go back through that. But the particular two verses we looked at, um, is in this wonderful Hebrew poetry where they um, would uh, repeat things multiple times and just kind of change the, you know, use synonyms to help you just get a, a full sense. So we, ha we have four different words for scripture, law, testimony, precepts, means teaching, commandments. And then about each one, it has something to say. So God's law is perfect. It restores the soul. I want to look at these four things on the right with you. Restoring the soul. Um, there was a, a mathematician named Pascal uh, who was also a believer, uh, struggled for a while with, with faith, um, but wrote some wonderful things about faith. And um, one of the things he wrote is that the human heart uh, has a, a void in it, uh, kind of an infinite void that can only be satisfied ultimately by God. And you may have heard that more, um, a more modern paraphrase of that is that there's a God-shaped hole in the human heart. 
Uh, but the idea is that we may try to fit different things into that, that space, that emotional space in our heart, uh, but find that they are, uh, you know, whether that's money or success or power or whatever, find that those are not ultimately satisfying. And Pascal um, said that it, it, was, it was something only, it's such a big space that only God can fill that adequately. And that's what I think of when I read this first one, that God's law is perfect that it restores the soul. Even the word perfect in the Bible um, less refers to not making mistakes as, as the idea of completeness or filling something up. Uh, so this, this is God, God's law, God's word, God's scripture does this in our lives uh, in, in, at the very deep place of our heart. God's testimony, uh, that is what is true about God, the story told about God in scripture is sure and here's what drew me to this verse. It makes wise the simple. And again, wisdom is not just more knowledge. It's knowing what to do with that knowledge. This is saying the stories of God that we read in Scripture, um, they, they lead us on that right path. They're sure. Our footing is sure. And it, it grows us in wisdom. And then God's precepts or teaching, another word for Scripture, they're right. You can count on them. They're true. And this, I thought, is fascinating and so encouraging. What do they do? They um, rejoice the heart. They bring joy into our life. I try to say at any time um, I'm talking about it, God's, God's word, even if you think about the rules, like the Ten Commandments, they're not there uh, to be uh, a great list of uh, buzzkill or party pooper or make your life miserable. They are there to protect us, to help us thrive, to keep us safe, to bring life, to bring joy. This psalm uh, notes that for us, that God's teachings, that they, uh, they are true and right, and that is something to, to latch on to. It brings us the, um, the, the, the joy of living uh, in God's, um, you know, what God has designed for our best, for our blessing. And then finally, commandment. You've heard that word. Um, it is pure, and it enlightens the eyes. This is another way of talking about wisdom, right? If... if uh, we use this still in modern English. We, we say, once we understand something, we'll say, oh, I see, right? Our eyes are open to something. I see. So God's word, this is saying it, it enlightens our eyes. It opens our, our you know, inner vision so that we understand and comprehend and, and take something in to ourselves. So I commend the whole psalm, but this, this little bit of it is reminding us that another way, so if the first way to become wise is to draw into God's presence, learn about God and worship God, right? A, a second way that God gives us is through his written word. And as we learn it, as we study it, as we follow and obey it, it grows us in a number of ways, one of which is wisdom, another is joy, um, another is fulfillment, restoring the soul. How does that happen? Uh, well, it's not just um, by proximity, right? Let me pull this Bible out. God's written word doesn't make me wise just because I carry it around in my arm or sleep with it under my pillow or have three or four in my house somewhere. I know this is super obvious, but I'm going to say it anyway. How does God's word do all these things? It's through reading it, pondering it, meditating, ruminating on it, meditating on it, and living it, you know, accepting it. Uh, letting it bear on our lives so that it shapes who we are. That's where the wisdom and the joy and the fulfillment and the understanding come from. 
And then thirdly, our long passage that Christy read for us from 1 Corinthians 1 uh, is talking about wisdom and foolishness. It is part of uh, a reflection by the Apostle Paul. He's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. And I've pulled out a few of the, uh, the verses. Um, what do you need to know about this for context? Well, one is that the, when he refers to the Jews, he is Jewish. Um, he, he says his people are looking for signs and wonders as, a, um, as proof that, that God is present. That's how you would know, or that the Messiah has come. Uh, that as he's going around talking about Jesus, that's, that's what he's running into, uh, is the Jewish people that hear the message, they want to know about the power of God. Um, Greeks, and you would know this, they're known for their philosophers. So the golden age of Greek philosophy was a couple of centuries before this, say 400 to 500 uh, BC. Um, philosophers like Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. So they had died, but their, their influence carried on well past their lifetime, to the point that even when the Romans conquered the world, including Greece, they really just tried to imitate the Greeks. So they took all their gods, um, you know, Zeus and Athena and all of them, and they just gave them Roman names but kept the whole system because they thought that was pretty cool. And they admired the, the Greek philosophers. Well, that Greek philosophy, the pursuit of wisdom, still dominated the world, including where Paul had his journeys, especially up around the Mediterranean. So as he went with the message of Jesus, he would run into uh, students of those philosophies or just people in general who said, well, tell me how, how this thing you're talking about, how is it wise? Is it, is it as, as deep as Aristotle? Is it as wise as Plato? And Paul would have to explain uh, to those audiences. So he's in this letter to Corinth, he's saying, here's kind of the two challenges I run into as I carry this, this message. So he said, he go, so he, he notes, Jews ask for signs, Gentiles search for wisdom, or Greeks search for wisdom. In that second verse, here's his message. <laughs> Imagine, right, if that's what people are looking for. Well, I want to tell you about a man who was killed. He came uh, to teach and to uh, lead um, people to God, to declare the kingdom of God and, and God's victory. Well, what happened to him? Well, he was killed by the, by the Romans. What Paul found was that the story of Christ crucified was, for the Jewish people, a stumbling block, something they tripped over, like that's not what we were expecting. That's, that's not what the Messiah was to be. And to um, the Greeks, the Gentiles, it just sounded like foolishness. What kind of philosopher... Um, Spends his life that way, gives his life that way. He goes on to say, but to those who can see, right, who understand, who are called by God, those who come to faith, same audience, Jews and Greeks, they see in the same events that sound like foolishness and something to trip over, they see in those same events the power of God and the wisdom of God. So he, he, he says, I get it. The message about the cross sounds Foolish, but it's not. In fact, he, he highlights and says this is how powerful and how wise God is, is that he takes the most foolish-sounding story there is, a Savior who comes and appears to lose everything and be utterly defeated, and that's how God shows his power. Right? That's how God demonstrates his wisdom, is in this apparent failure. Um, that's just where God was 
um, doing his saving and showing his power. So he ends up in this long passage saying, by God's doing, those of you who believe are in Christ Jesus. He became to us wisdom from God, as well as righteousness, sanctification, redemption. This is all what Jesus accomplished on the cross. But the first one he lists is wisdom, which is what we're talking about today, of course. So how do we gain and grow in wisdom? Same question applied to this. And let me, uh, let me point out, Jesus is referred to also as the word of God. But if scripture is the written word, Jesus is the living word, it's really the same answer that we talked about just a minute ago in Psalms. How do we grow in wisdom? We, we don't just study a little bit about Jesus and leave him up on the shelf, right? It's by engaging with, uh, inviting him into our life to shape and mold how we think and what we do. And Paul describes that with this phrase, in Christ Jesus. Um, we had hours and hours of, of seminary lecture to describe what that concept is. The most helpful and short answer I ever heard of what it means to be in Jesus is it's a lot like being in love. It's not a room somewhere. It's not a geographical place. It is a, a, a comprehensive state of mind and heart and being that, is, that shapes all. If you are in love, it shapes everything. It's not, I'm not saying in love with Christ. That, that's a valid thing to say. But being in Christ, Jesus, is just so connected, so uh, invested in, so interested in who Jesus is and he in us that, that it shapes our, our thoughts and words and actions. That's what Paul's describing here. So just like I talked about not having the book under your pillow or on a shelf, but digging into it, that's what Christ invites as well. And he does that uh, with those words. Come, follow me. Trust me. Go where I lead. Follow me into the world. Do as I have done. When he calls us to be disciples and followers, he is inviting us into this place. Um, not a physical place, but a, a life space of being in Christ Jesus. So I asked at the beginning, do you want to be wise? How do you become wise? It's not proximity to these things. It's engaging in uh, knowledge and worship of God, God's written word, the scripture, God's living word, Jesus Christ, the son. I want to read, um, end with one of the verses we started with, now that you know what the fear of the Lord is and what it means to know God and worship God and, and dig into the word and be in the sun. See if this reads any differently. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One, of God, what he's written, how he's lived among us in Christ. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I had not included it in my sermon because um, I wrote it before the children's sermon. But what a wonderful gift, that verse in James that says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God who is generous and desires to give us wisdom. and He will make us wise. He will give that gift. It's not something you have to, to work for or climb a mountain or do extraordinary work. God has given us himself and his word and, and delights to help us grow up and grow in wisdom. Amen.